Taiwan reported 28 local COVID cases and one death on Monday, beating the previous day's level three lows. When asked about whether the level three alert will be lifted on July 12, the health minister said that a decision has not yet been made. Let's hear from him. All it takes is a day trip to get from one end of Taiwan to the other. At present, we haven't decided whether to lift restrictions. Discussing issues related to the epidemic is still our main focus right now. As for what actions will be taken, that's something we are still exploring. The overall direction is that all measures will be enforced at a national level. As for enforcing blockades at a local level, in a Level 3 alert guidelines, there is a provision that allows for specific areas to be blockaded. If, during epidemic investigations, we see a certain area become a COVID hotspot, we may take action to contain that area. This will not be done at the city or county level. It will be done to address locations with actual outbreaks, based on the boundaries we find during our epidemic investigations. Taiwan's premier also addressed the possibility of ending Level 3. He said that Taiwan has not yet met its criteria for lifting the alert as outbreaks were still flaring up in the community. But he said the numbers clearly show that the epidemic is easing in most cities and counties and that there's room to adjust control measures for a variety of businesses and that the government will have a plan already prepared when the time is right to reopen. Taiwan is now reaching the other side of its COVID surge, which has claimed the lives of 675 people so far. On Monday, the CCC broke down the numbers of Taiwan's COVID deaths. As of July 4th, the casualties' average age was 73 years old. More than 90 percent of all casualties had underlying diseases. About 10 to 20 percent of the deaths resulted when family members refused invasive treatment for their loved one to spare the patient more pain and suffering. As a matter of fact, the case fatality rate has been in a continual decline. It has now fallen below one percentage point. According to CECC Specialist Advisory Panel Convener Zhang Xiangchun, 675 people died of COVID-19 between May 11th and July 4th. Today, the fatality rate is below one percent, after peaking at 6.7. This high figure came about mainly because we had a large number of cases emerge. In addition, nearly 20 percent of cases became severely ill, and we needed intensive care facilities. Most hospitals don't have any negative pressure isolation wards. This is the case all over the world. Among the fatalities, the average age of the deceased was 73 years old. Men accounted for 64 percent of the cases, and more than 90 percent of all cases had underlying conditions. Among infected people 60 years old or younger, the death rate was less than 2 percent. According to the CECC, 10 to 20 percent of COVID deaths resulted when intubation was refused by the patient's family to prevent more patient suffering. COVID-19 cases often end up developing severe pneumonia and respiratory failure. After intubation and after proper care and treatment, of course it is quite arduous. For a frontline medical staff and nursing staff, it is very arduous. But there is a considerable proportion of patients that can be saved. In Taipei City, more than 60 COVID patients received monoclonal antibody treatment, which is used to prevent severe symptoms. It worked for nearly all the patients, with a small number presenting mild pneumonia. Only one case became severely ill, although this patient survived. 
At present, patients are receiving monoclonal antibody treatment at public expense. To qualify, they must be at least 65 years old or suffer from chronic conditions. The CECC says that timely intervention can make a critical difference in patient outcomes. Taipei wants to vaccinate all workers at major traditional markets by the end of the week. Local health authorities launched the campaign on Monday, offering Moderna shots to workers in Wanhua and Zhongzhen districts. Later this week, vaccines will be offered to workers at any other major traditional market in the city. The campaign comes after a string of outbreaks at local markets, most recently at the city's famous Nanmen market. It's day one of vaccinations for market workers. Even before 8 a.m., some had already turned up at Huaishan Junior High School for their shot. Vendors said they hoped that getting vaccinated would make their customers come back. This single clinic vaccinated 585 vendors on Monday. More than 500 were from Nanmen Market, and dozens were from Xing'an Market. They were given Moderna vaccines over three time slots. Following our discussions with the central government, we were allocated 20,751 doses. To get everyone in traditional markets protected, we need to get 18,880 people vaccinated in this first round. Market workers will continue to be vaccinated through to Sunday. Priority access will go to people who work at markets in Zhongzhen and Wanhua districts. After that, shots will be offered to workers at markets where there has been at least one COVID case. After that, anyone working at a large-scale market in the city will be eligible. Some vendors complain that the vaccines are coming too late after outbreaks already hit local markets. Nanmen Market went through mass PCR testing in late June. One person was found to be infected and was put in isolation. Now, although vendors are getting vaccinated, market authorities are still on knife's edge. Everyone got a PCR test, and now everyone is getting vaccinated. We've told them that after coming back from a wholesale market, the plastic bags and cardboard boxes should be cleaned and discarded. Since last month's outbreak at the Taipei Agricultural Products Marketing Corporation, retail and wholesale markets across the region have been taking strict COVID precautions. Vendors are racing to get vaccinated in hopes that business will soon return to normal. Now a look at the latest in the national vaccine campaign. As on Monday, more than 10% of the population has received one dose of a COVID vaccine. Another 0.2% is fully vaccinated with two doses, according to the CECC. The government also announced the completion of its online vaccine appointment system. It was created by Minister Without Portfolio Audrey Tang, and it will work in a similar way to the online mask rationing system. People can book an appointment through the National Health Insurance Administration's mobile app or by registering at a local pharmacy. Officials say it will be launched on a trial basis on the outlying islands for people aged 50 to 64.
the Chinese Communist Party is grooming Taiwan expats to promote unification propaganda to Taiwanese. Hong Jingfu, a politics professor at National Chenggong University, says that a special program was created last September to train cadres to work in Taiwan. So far, 300 Taiwanese have gone through the program, which is run by a civic group at Mingnan Normal University in Fujian province. The Beijing-backed All-China Federation of Taiwan Compatriots has been holding training courses. Between last September and the end of June, it held classes for six cohorts comprising more than 300 students. According to a source familiar with the matter, they were trained to promote unification in Taiwan. The classes examined the Communist Party oath, Xi Jinping thought, and the party's policy on Taiwan. The trainees were charged with the mission of promoting unification in Taiwan. After their brainwash, they arrive on our island and arrive in our homes to further affect each and every one of us and how we view China. This is a very important case in point on how China swings from extreme hardline policies to soft approaches. The ruling party lawmaker fears that after the trainees return to Taiwan, they will infiltrate society and break down the country's defenses from within. As part of their cultural education, these trainees at Mingnan Normal University were given lessons in Hokkien, also known as Taiwanese. According to the source, these trainees have been tasked with promoting China's policies for Taiwan, particularly those of Xi Jinping. We will work together in pursuit of national unification, which is the 1992 consensus. We will explore a Taiwan plan. Xi has often touted the two sides' familial bond and talked up policies that promote mutual gain. In the hundredth year of the CCP's founding, he's continued using the carrot and stick, sending warplanes while training Taiwan youth to be evangelists for the United Front. With his arsenal constantly changing, Taiwan's government is on high alert. At its shareholder meeting on Monday, smartphone chip supplier MediaTek warned that its shipments to clients will be delayed over the short term. The company's chairman said the delay was due to a COVID outbreak at a supplier, Qingyuan Electronics, in Miaoli County. But the firm emphasized that the impact will be short-lived and that shipments will gradually recover after the third quarter. It still forecasts strong growth in 2021 and some of some 40% year-on-year. On Monday, shareholders of MediaTek approved a cash dividend of 37 NT per share for a total of 58.8 billion NT. The ever-given container ship that blocked the Suez Canal for six days in March will be released by the canal's authority on Wednesday. The Suez Canal Authority has reached a settlement deal with the Japanese owners of the ship and its insurers. The amount has not yet been disclosed. The Egyptian authority had demanded more than 900 million U.S. dollars in compensation before lowering the claim to 550 million U.S. dollars. There are more than 18,000 containers on board the Ever Given with a combined value of over 1 billion U.S. dollars. Under a principle of maritime law called general average, the cargo owners can be forced to share the cost of the claim. Even after the ship's release, it could take weeks before cargo owners receive their goods because the Ever Given is expected to strait for repairs. 
1P World Safari Zoo Park in Tainan is under fire for a string of deaths in its giraffe populations over the past 10 years. In a press conference at the Legislative Yuan, animal welfare activists say that over the past decades, four of the zoo's five giraffes died due to improper care and before reaching their expected lifespan. They're asking the government not to allow the park to bring more wild animals into its dire conditions. Formosa News reporter Stephanie Yang has the story. Wampi World Safari Park is a large privately run safari park in southern Taiwan. Since its opening in 1994, it's been a popular family attraction. But according to animal rights groups, the park is far from being a happy place for the animals it holds. They say that many of the park's animals live in dire conditions and that injured animals do not receive proper medical care. In 2017, a giraffe named Yi Yi died from an illness, and in 2018, the giraffe Xiao Sun died from a tracheal obstruction. Earlier this year, three-year-old PP strangled to death on equipment inside its enclosure. Giraffes are the main star of the Wanpi World Safari Zoo Park, but they are constantly dying and are constantly being bought. Either out in nature or in captivity, giraffes have an average lifespan of 20 to 30 years. PP, who just passed away this year, was actually only over one year old when it was brought into the Wanpi World Safari Zoo Park, but it passed away after two years. Wild giraffes spend approximately a third of their day walking, and their average home range size varies between about five and up to 500 square kilometers. Even at 4,000 square meters, the proposed enclosure at Wampi Zoo would at best represent less than 0.1% or 1 1,000th of the average home range size of wild giraffe. It is thought that giraffe have developed behavioral disturbances in almost every zoo in which they are kept, and that giraffe and Okapi together are the two species that are most prone to developing stereotypic behaviors in the global zoo animal population. We are calling for a strategic and humane phase-out of giraffes in, in zoos uh, in Europe and beyond, beginning with an end to breeding and further acquisition. We would therefore urge the Taiwanese authorities not to issue further imports for giraffe for 1P Zoo. The 1P World Safari Zoo Park now plans to import 18 giraffes, rhinos and zebras from Africa. Its import application has been approved by the Forestry Bureau. But animal welfare activists are urging the government to retract the approval. They're also asking the public to sign a petition to stop the import of animals into the zoo. A great amount of evidence from the previous investigation by animal protection groups shows that Wanpi World Safari Zoo Park is incapable of taking care of its existing 300 animal species. The animals are either injured or exhibit abnormal behavior. This situation is not evident in just one or two cases, but it is very serious. Now the park wants to import a large number of animals. We are asking the government to consider international conservation trends, animal welfare and the risk of disease transmission, and to immediately reject the park's import application for the 18 giraffes, rhinos, zebras and other animals. We're asking that people at home and abroad sign our petition. We want this campaign to be international. We hope to rally larger groups and we're calling on everyone to resist. Don't base the joy of human beings on the suffering of animals. 
People can take a photo of themselves holding a sign that says, I oppose Wan P World Safari Zoo Park's import of 18 giraffes and other wild animals. Uploaded to social media with the hashtag resist cruel animal display venues. In response, Forestry Bureau said it stands by its decisions and was taking steps to address the animal welfare concerns. During our assessment, it was determined that the import will not affect the wild population of giraffes and that it will have no impact on Taiwan's ecology. On the application platform, the Forestry Bureau responded to the park's import requests in the affirmative. As for the park's animal care, an animal hospital has been set up, and veterinary teams and animal protection personnel have been stationed. Everything will be dealt with in accordance with the law. The Tainan city government said it respects the rights of animal parks to file an import application. It said it will invite experts and scholars to inspect and to evaluate animal performance venues. For Muscle News, Stephanie Yang, Fang Junhui in Taipei. We head now to a filled wrap store that has received a big donation to keep it afloat. The store lost half of its profits overnight when Level 3 came in. But with donors' support, they're back on their feet and making free meals for local doctors. Marbled beef is flambéed. Handmade wraps are drizzled with barbecue sauce and layered with beef, salad and fries. The pandemic has hit this wrap store hard and profits have fallen. It's the hardest for employees. Our profits have dropped a lot by 50 percent. I have six or seven members of staff. But now on weekdays, it's just me and one part-time employee. At first, over half the staff are put on unpaid furlough. Then, 70,000 NT came in anonymously from friends of the store, both businesses and individuals. That's seen the store through this month with the request that they send frontline medical workers free lunches. The goal is 1,000 free wraps. The main donor had come here a few times before. Actually, it wasn't just from this one company. Lots of individuals donated too. When I first heard the news, I was so happy. I'm so happy that lots of people want to take part in this project and give Taiwan's medical staff lots of different meals to eat. They're working really hard. I'm happy that, like, people are willing to donate these wraps so we can give them away. The donations have kept this store afloat and given them a reason to keep on making food even while business is tough. Meanwhile, in local hospitals, wraps will keep medical workers going through long shifts. And this summer, judo is coming home to its birthplace, Japan. And judo fighter Yang Yongwei is just weeks away from his first Olympics. The 23-year-old martial artist is aiming for gold after collecting lots of elite experience in recent years. We caught up with him at the National Sports Training Center. This could be a still from a heartthrob TV drama. But despite his dazzling looks, Young is dedicated just to his sport. And he's about to head to Tokyo to compete in the men's 60-kilogram judo category. In my mind, my goal is to win gold. But I concentrate on the present moment, on fighting well in every bout, on expressing judo as it lives in me. Yang's ambitions for gold are no mere bluster. In recent years, he's proved his mettle, winning silver at many international tournaments. That gold, though, will come down to performance on the day. 
currently ranked world number 11, he's seated 8th for Tokyo. In 2018, he won bronze at the Asian Games in Jakarta, and earlier this year, silver at the Judo World Masters in Qatar as well as the Asian Oceania Judo Championships. The last three years offered the 23-year-old a wealth of experience and top-level international bouts. With his newfound confidence, he's ready to enter the legendary temple of Judo, Tokyo's Nippon Budokan. I went to a contest in the Budokan at the 2019 World Championships. I competed there and I beat the world number one. For me, that venue feels very sacred, very awe-inspiring. Off the mat, Young is a calm and thoughtful character, but in bouts, a whole other side comes out. In that respect, he's like his hero, tennis superstar Serena Williams. With a jaw-dropping 23 singles Grand Slam titles to her name, Williams is a force of nature and Young's sporting inspiration. Mentally, she's amazing. At the crucial moment, she always gets the point or she pulls off a really powerful ace. She always does it. That's what I admire about her. Mental strength is an indispensable part of an athlete's training. Young is readying himself to give his all in the judo holy of holies.